Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. News this week of a shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, has drawn reactions from across the country and the state, including protests from high school students in Boise. In 2018, after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, Idaho Reports spoke with students protesting gun violence at the Idaho State House, followed by a roundtable discussion. We're airing most of that episode here this week on the podcast. Idaho is shaped by our past, the ghosts of the men and women who came before us, and that history influences the present. This week, we got a message from our future as thousands of soon-to-be voters protested for school safety. But are we listening? I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, we're digging deep into school safety and gun violence issues and potential solutions. We take you to Wednesday's student protest at the Idaho State House, where producer Seth O'Gilvie talks to students about their fears and wishes. Next, we sit down for a roundtable discussion on school safety with House Speaker Scott Bedke, Idaho Freedom Foundation President Wayne Hoffman, Boise School District Trustee Beth Oppenheimer, and Boise High School Senior Will Tangway. Before we get into that, on Tuesday, legislative leaders joined the Idaho Press Club for lunch to discuss the 2018 session. Melissa and I had the good fortune of talking to a bunch of high school students about two weeks ago, and we asked them what, what was on their mind, what, what did they want the state house to address. And one of the major things was guns and school safety, and they wanted to feel safe in their schools. We had Sherry Ibarra that uh, put forth a possible plan for dealing with school safety. We've got a bunch of kids that are going to walk out tomorrow. Do you guys feel like you did enough this session to keep kids safe? No. Uh, I'll be going to CUNA High School tomorrow to attend a, a discussion there so that they could thwart a walkout. We know that high school kids, particularly high school kids in high density areas, have a different view on their own safety than kids in a rural community. We basically did, for all intents and purposes, nothing to ensure school safety this year. We had dinner with uh, some of our grandchildren Sunday evening. Got a 14-year-old grandson. They were talking about this walkout. Is it today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. Uh, They're leaving their school for 17 minutes. Uh, I think that's fine. I'm not being critical of that, but he says, why didn't they talk to us about maybe helping 17 kids in the school that we know are struggling emotionally or with friends or whatever? Why don't, why don't they uh, you know, have us do 17 acts of kindness or something? It's not just gun violence, it's suicide. It's bullying. It's a, it's a lack of respect for educators. Um, and I think that as, as we strengthen our homes, then we will, we will strengthen, uh, uh, help avoid those, those, those terrorist-type problems. We'll also help uh, avoid some of the mental illness problems and, and uh, be able to at least address some of those mental illness problems and so forth. Uh, but, you know, nobody talks about what we can do to strengthen, not nobody. A lot of people ignore what we can do to strengthen homes. I think it makes some sense. We need to be looking at uh, background checks in certain circumstances. We need to, uh, you know, I, I'm not, a, I, I don't have any assault rifles, so I, you know, I, I don't, 
it's just not uh, something I'm into that much. But I think we need to look at all of the areas of this complex problem. Is it important enough to stay around? Because at this point, you really haven't addressed it. Well, you know, stay around, I, I don't know. I mean, we've had plenty of time to address it. We haven't addressed it, at least not to the extent that we could. It, it is getting better, but, you know, it, is sticking around another six months going to change anything? I, I, I don't know. Uh, if, if there were a bill out there that, uh, uh, you know, that maybe addressed it and seemed to have a lot of support or something, it might be worth it. But, uh, you know, to start from scratch, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know how to answer that. I don't see anything out there that would keep us around except that we have a need that is not being met. The day after that luncheon, Boise students joined their peers across the country in a walkout, descending on the State House and making sure that their concerns over gun violence were heard. Producer Seth O'Gilby has more. It was cold. It was rainy. And over 1,000 kids in Boise were fed up. With a police escort, permission slips, and at least for some, the blessing of their teachers, students across the valley, the state, and the country walked out of school. The next generation of Idaho voters, workers, and citizens gathered on the steps of the Idaho Capitol wanting to be heard. There were people from Eagle High School, CUNA High School, Columbia, all of the Boise schools. I Sage attended, junior highs attended, there were elementary students there. There was representation from almost every place within driving distance. I came out today because there's too many kids that have died because they refused to up the gun control laws and too many kids have died and enough is enough. I just think it's common sense that we should value children's lives over guns and it's just become such a debate and I just really wanted to voice my opinion and um, just make sure all students should feel safe in school and that we can't value guns over children's lives. We, we want change today and we want change forever because currently how it stands, although there are some, you know, systems in place to kind of stop, you know, shootings and all that, like there's not enough and we need to have change for uh, tomorrow and the future and I came out here to show my support with that in any way I can. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. It makes it hard to think of school as just an educational place, you know, a place where you go to learn. It makes it just so much more than that. It's a place where my teacher may have to protect a classroom full of 30 people, a job that they didn't sign up to do. They didn't sign up to have to potentially die for their classroom. And so it just affects everything. It affects teachers teaching me and it affects my ability to learn. They wanted to explain that mental toll. And it's very much like on my mind, like all the time. Like that's why we have like lockdown drills and we make sure that we know what to do in case a gunman comes in. And that's so sad that we have to make sure that we know what to do in case someone decides to come in with us and shoot at us with a gun just having that like kind of fear in the back of your head it, it really gets to you and it's hard to focus honestly. My school since it's a really small community I feel safe however I don't know if other students elsewhere will feel safe in their schools. It just makes me feel like sick inside like just that we have to do this and we have to learn how to like cover ourselves in case someone starts shooting at us. It's not acceptable it's not something we should be afraid of. 
Today, my generation has been labeled Generation Columbine. We have faced over eight mass school shootings where four or more students have been shot and killed. Every day, we walk into our schools and in every class, we have our own mental plan of what to do if this particular classroom were to be the victim of a school shooting. They wanted to start a conversation, not win a debate. Students had ideas, but there was no one monolithic message, no answer. I was really affected by the Sandy Hook and after that not having any legislation passed or any real effect after that, um, but then it's really hit home once it happened in the high school in Parkland and honestly, we had a lockdown on Monday at Centennial High School and just nobody was taking it seriously. I started freaking out, almost having an anxiety attack and it's just become a real concern. My stomach dropped. I, I, hearing the alarm was honestly just like so real. It, it felt just surreal. And when the police come around and knock on the doors, uh, like just you get this gut feeling in your stomach that it could be real. And that's, that's the potential. Like at Mountain View High School, they had um, a kid found three guns in his car and it's, it's all too real now and we can't ignore it. Do you feel safe in school? No, like, there, if a kid can buy an assault rifle that's meant for, like, people who go off to war and, and they give it to a civilian, then no, like, they can, they can get through. Like, our doors are made of glass and they can get through and they can just start shooting people. And that threat should be taken seriously. The last time students marched on the Capitol, the flagship education policy in Idaho, the Luna Laws, were swiftly deconstructed by the people of Idaho. I tell them to take this seriously, to, to not value um, guns in like previous um, experiences we've had as America and our honestly disgusting gun culture and take it into consideration that we're, we're the children of America, we're the future. and. Um, I voted yesterday for the first time. We're here to change, and um, I just want them to know that um, our lives matter more. But I feel like we're not trying to look for just a complete and utter ban around the entirety of the United States. I feel like we're just trying to make it, you know, we're trying to make it safer for students and for just people in the general public when compared to how it already is. It makes me feel sad that so many kids have died, and so many kids have lost their lives because they refused to pass gun control laws and I don't think they realize that these kids have names and these are their names and they and they're my age and it just makes me there aren't words to explain that kind of sadness and if we're being honest I don't think Idaho is ready for policies I think Idaho is ready to have the conversation which we haven't been able to have for so long and I think if the message was anything it's that this moment in time where legislators did not have to care what people thought because no one was doing anything, that time is over. These people are about to be able to vote and their voices will be heard. And if the legislators don't listen to the people, they will be voted out of office. The message wasn't, do this. It was, we are scared and please do something. Now we would like to start a moment of silence for all of the children that we've lost in the process. We ask that in this process, you lay down as a symbol of respect for all the students that we've lost. Rachel Scott, Daniel Robo, Dave Sanders, 
Kyle Velasquez, Steven Kerno, Cassie Bernal, Isaiah Showalts, Matthew Ketcher, Lauren Townsend, John Tomlin, Kelly Fleming, Daniel Mauser, Corey DePooter, Charlotte Bacon, Daniel Barden, Rachel Davino, Olivia Engel, Josephine Gay, Anna M. Marquez Green, Dylan Hockley, Don Poshstrom, Madeline Poof, Catherine B. Hubbard, Chase Kowalski, Jesse Lewis, James Mattoli, Grace McDonald, Annie Marie Murphy, Emily Parker, Jack Pinto, Noah Posner, Caroline Gravidi, Jessica Rakos, Avil Richmond, Lauren Razoo, Mary Sherlock, Victoria Soto, Benjamin Wheeler, Allison N. Wyatt, Alyssa Aldehef, Scott Beagle, Martin Duke Anguino, Nicholas Dorit, Aaron Feast, Jamie Guttenberg, Chris Hickson, Luke Hoyer, Kara Wilburn, Gina Montalto, Jocelyn Oliver, Alana Petty, Metal Pollock, Selena Pullen. Students spent Wednesday demanding action, but are Idaho's elected officials and policy influencers listening? We wanted to get past the sound bites and anger and see what, if anything, people on different sides of the issue agree on. And joining us today, we have Will Tangway, a senior at Boise High School, Wayne Hoffman, president of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, Beth Oppenheimer, a trustee at the Boise School District and a parent of two children in Boise Public Schools, and House Speaker Scott Bedke of Oakley. Will, I wanted to start with you. Uh, you participated in Wednesday's walkout mm -hmm. about school safety, and you've also been working on a project talking to other students how they feel about um, school uh, security. Can you tell us a little bit about that? and what you've heard. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my role in the walkout was basically the chief organizer for it. Me and my good friend Colette Raptosh planned it from the very beginning. And it was very important to me to capitalize on the individual voices that were involved um, that were, you know, in that huge group of people. Um, so I was going around. Um, at this point, I've had interviewed 15 kids from over seven different high schools in the Treasure Valley, um, asking them, you know, what they think needs to be done, how this issue affects them personally, how it affects their ability to get an education and stuff to that nature. And I want to ask you about your personal experience with school security in, in, in this age of so many school mass shootings that have been highly publicized. You were born after Columbine. This has been the reality for you the whole entire time. Absolutely. You've gone to school. What, what goes through your mind during these drills? What's that like for you? I, I think it's it's hard um, to put to put it into words, but um, each after each shooting, after each event, after we hear about it on the news, the drills become less and less of drills and more and more of necessities and more and more of is this real or you know, um, so it's it's definitely hindered my ability to get an education um, because it's always in the back of our minds, you know, um, and it's not just me, it's all students, you know, through my interviews I learned that all students, they feel it, they don't talk about it, it's not something that we like to discuss like in our peer groups or um, even in, you know, our government classes for that matter, but it's it's something that's always there and it's, it's something that we've had to grow up with. And Beth, as a trustee for the Boise School District and as a mom, what's that like hearing Will talk about this? 
Well, I, I think it's scary. And, um, you know, I'm a parent of two children, and every single day that I drop my kids off at school, um, my, my daughter at the elementary school, and I look at the kids playing in the playground, and I think to myself every single day, is this the day that I get the call? Is this the day that I get the call when I send my daughter to high school? Um, I think about that, and that's not something that a parent wants to think about. I think as a trustee, hearing that our students are, are scared every day, and what are we doing about that, and what, what can we do as a society, what can we do politically um, to, to solve this problem? Wayne, you have two kids. Can you? What's that like for you? Both of your kids have gone through lockdowns. Sure, I, I have a daughter who's 20, and she's at her community college. She's attending in Portland. They had a lockdown the other day. Um, my son's 17, a high school senior, also in Nampa, and and they had a lockdown, I believe, today. So I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things going on, and, and we do worry. The question is, however. Are the politicians, is the legislature and Congress or your city council, your county commission, are they the answers to the problem? And I don't think it is. You know, and Speaker Bedke, so much of this discussion has focused on the federal level, but do state lawmakers have a role in this? I think that we will have a role in, in, in the going forward. And, uh, and what that role will be is yet to be defined. I, I don't think that uh, we are, as, a, as an Idaho society, we're at that transition point. We're, we're having growing pains. We're the fastest growing state in the, in the nation. And uh, most of us grew up in a different Idaho where this, it has not been our reality to have lockdowns and to have, have anything other than uh, you know, security is something we've taken absolutely for granted here. And it doesn't matter whether it's the state house or in these schools, is that, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen here. And we have got to have a mindset change uh, collectively. And then of course, when that, when that, that mindset changes, that will, that will show up in the legislature because we are the elected officials from the mindset, if you will. And so, uh, but what does that look like at this point? I mean, there's a whole list of things, and I think that we we better say all of the above at this point. Everything's on the table. Now, those are first. When you say all of the above, are you, you're talking uh, mental health, you're talking school security. What's on the all of the above list? Well, I think that uh, those. I think that uh, uh, bullying is an issue. I think that violent video games are an issue. I think that uh, uh, you know mental health certainly is is an issue, and uh, I don't know. I, I I it was interesting to visit schools in Israel. Now they take security to a whole different level than we do, and they just don't leave room for error. Because they are, they they live with a security threat there all of the time, and that includes hardened schools, that includes armed teachers, that includes. Uh, uh, well, I didn't get into all of that within there, but I mean, you you go into a into a school in Israel, it's a different vibe there than it certainly is here, and and so if we're willing to go there then I think we can be as successful at stopping uh, school violence as they are there, but, that, that, but that's, going to take a, that's going to take support from the communities, and I don't think the communities are ready to say, 
go do that in our schools yet. Will, do you want to go to school in a, a place that is that locked down? Yeah, um, to, to be honest, no. Um, and I, I think that there are areas that are, it's very necessary to have that level of security. Um, but, and speaking with my peers, interviewing kids, um, increased security does um, hinder, it kind of makes the whole idea that, you know, there could be a school shooting at any time very prevalent. It makes it kind of in our face almost. It's, it's almost the same degree of, you know, having daily lockdowns as a daily reminder that we are not safe at our schools, at the institutions that we have to go to on the daily. I, you know, I hate to say this, I don't want to be that guy, but you know, I went to school and you did too, Scott, I'm sure, you know, when you had guns in your cars and we all carried pocket knives in our pockets and we didn't go around stabbing anybody, we didn't shoot anybody. That was life. And, um, and now we've got, for whatever reason, society has changed such, such that that parents and kids are worried about being shot up in their schools. I don't think that the state of Idaho is going to pass a law or that Congress is going to pass a law that fixes that problem. There's clearly something else that's happening in society. What if you did lock down the schools to where you had metal detectors and armed guards everywhere? Would then the violence shift to the Walmart store or to the playground or somewhere else. I mean, those are the things that we have to, to worry about. We're not really tackling what the real problem is. And, and, and that's a conversation that's totally different. What are we doing in society that makes us less connected to one another? To where when people get angry, we're going to go and we're going to shoot somebody or stab somebody. And by the way, some of these countries and, and places where they have these really tough gun laws still have a lot of violence. They're just using something else to do it. Australia but they, is but they don't. But they don't have the tools like AR-15s that can, frankly, mow down a lot of people in two minutes or less. It takes a lot more time and effort to do that much damage with a pocket knife. And, and there are examples of mass stabbings, but I guess the next question is, are we waiting for the next mass poisoning? So guns are now outlawed, and so now I'm going to go figure out a way to, to poison the public drinking water. If, unless you address the root problem, that's where we're going next. And then you're, you're worried about the, uh, somebody walking into a school with a gun. I'm worried about somebody walking into a school with a, you know, a vial of poison. You know, and then everybody's really in trouble. But we've got to be careful when we have these conversations to not uh, use... You know, we're having a hard time getting our mind around what is the root cause here. And, and so then that turns into an excuse for the, to, the maintenance of the status quo. And we're all frustrated with that. Uh, we, we feel on some level that, we've, that we could do more. And, uh, and, and we wanted to be, you know, and Will wants to be pointed in the right direction to help solve this problem, as do we all. Right. And, yet we're, and yet we're using, still using vague language to describe this. You know, we're very good at, you know, when we all agree that, that it's a problem and we have a specific problem, then, do, then don't underestimate Idaho's ability to go solve that problem. But we're all, but we're still de defining this in a way that is not specific so that we can aim focused resources on it and, in a way that, that, that moves the needle yet, in my opinion. And, and that, that's what's frustrating to me. And it was interesting to hear that parent of, the, of this, one of the slain kids in Florida. You know, and they, they started, you know, the commentator tried to lead him down the road of gun safety or mental health or whatever. And he said, no, let's just, you know, the thing we have to do 
is make these schools safe. Let's yes. let, let these other discussions happen in other venues. We know we, we make safe, we make buildings safe all the time. Let's make our schools that safe. Now, when, uh, when a school board trustee who has to balance a budget that's given limited resources from the legislature and for her patrons, and then she has to prioritize uh, those resources into making a hard, safe school, then, you know, where does that go on the continuum against, uh, you know, higher teacher pay or other programs? I mean, this, then, we, then this becomes an allocation of resources. But when society collective se collectively says our schools are going to be safe, period, then and only then will we focus the resources to, to make them safe, period. But I feel at the same time that, and, and, and I agree with that, I, but I feel at the same time we're very good at sitting around a circle and pointing fingers at problems. And we're not very good at tackling those by solutions. And I think what we're doing is we're looking for that, that, um, that magic wand that's going to solve all of these problems at once. But the fact that we're not doing anything, even small incremental changes at the policy or the funding level, to, to help some of these issues I think is terrible and we're not doing our kids a service and our families a service. You know, if we look at um, what are some small incremental changes we can do here in Idaho and um, Speaker Bedke, I loved what you said last week on, on Viewpoint about um, strengthening background checks that would also meet the need and that would connect our mental health records. Um, those are some small incremental changes that we can do. And, you know, it's a, I don't know that we're going to build this fortress around all of our schools. It's going to keep everybody in or out or whatever that looks like. But there are some small things that we can do. And when we look at our health care, um, we had an opportunity to do something with health care that would address mental illness, but, but we didn't do that. And so we keep saying, well, we could do this, but then that's where it stops. And we don't actually cross that line and say, this is a small incremental change that we can do to move towards a bigger solution. And I think kind of going off that, um, when you were discussing that there is something bigger in our society that we're not addressing that is kind of preventing us from getting to these solutions, um, a lot of students, um, but they, we recognize that there's this disconnect between our generation and your generation when it comes to this issue specifically because we've sat through schools, you know, we've been behind us hearing about all these school shootings and hearing about our peers that could have easily been us and we always think that, um, you know, I think, um, you know, going, going forward, students, they tend to um, think that there's this huge solution, this extreme solution that they want to find, they want to implement it, but in that process, they kind of alienate themselves from people who are willing to meet them at two lesser degrees, taking little, little steps to get to where we want to go, get to a place where schools in general are more secure. Well, there probably is a solution. If we want to be honest about it, um, you, could, you could suspend the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and allow for the law enforcement to um, search people's homes at randoms and, and check Scott's email and look through Beth's mail and... and quarter troops in people's houses and so on. I mean, the, the point is, is that there is a, a, a limit. And when you start trampling on that limit, then you start trampling on who we are as a country, as a society. Um, I worry a lot about telling politicians it's up to you to go solve this problem because I guarantee you somebody will come up with a solution that's exactly like that. I kind of felt it was that way with um, 
Representative Wintrow's legislation a couple weeks ago that it was a bridge too far, that it was one of those things where it was just inching in that, in that territory of restricting people's ability to, to own guns. And my question became, well, if you can restrict the Second Amendment, why not restrict the First Amendment? We'll also restrict, you know, the Fourth Amendment. We'll deny you the ability to have a trial by jury. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do, and those are also very damaging things as well. I'm so glad you brought that up, Wayne, because I was, you know, first of all, I mean, there, there are restrictions on things like the First Amendment, you know, and, and there have, there's been extensive uh, case law sorting this out. You know, in that column, you wrote that, you know, the, the restricting access of firearms, which was, uh, you mentioned uh, Melissa Wintrow's bill, and while that didn't have, uh, that wasn't addressing school safety, it does, it would put a two-year cooling period on the, um, on the ownership of firearms for those convicti uh, convicted of domestic violence. And in your column, you wrote that restricting access, you cited a study that said restricting access has been linked to lowering homicide rates. So you acknowledge that there is a study that says that, that restricting that access and restricting ownership does actually, actually lower that homicide rate. But then you went on to say, see, this is the brass ring that that people are reaching for, that they want to take your guns away. But there was no solution in it, there. It, it's, it's not not quite that simple. What I, what I was saying in there is that the, the bill that uh, Representative Wintrow proposed was to, um, if you have been convicted of um, uh, domestic violence, misdemeanor mm -hmm. domestic violence, then there's a two-year two waiting period. The researchers who have looked at legislation like that have said it's not enough to just say you can't have access to a gun. You actually have to confiscate the gun. That's the difference. So the, the, the researchers who looked at legislation like hers said, no, that wasn't, that wasn't sufficient to solve the problem. What you have to do is actually have to confiscate guns. My point, though, is that if you're going to take away a person's weapons, and there are a lot of different, there was some great floor debate on that particular bill and why that could be problematic because of the ways in which domestic violence laws can be applied in Idaho, um, why not also say, and you're also banned from Facebook. You can't get out there and do any tweeting. Well, uh, but, we're also going to prevent you from on, writing a letter to the editor. But I mean, depending on the crime that someone is convicted of, some people are uh, banned from using Facebook and Twitter. But I, I think there's a, and, and I have a problem with, with telling people that, okay, we're going to suspend the Constitution for people who have already been adjudicated of a crime, who have already served their sentence. That becomes a, a very slippery slope. I hate using that phrase. But then it, the next thing becomes, okay, well, now we've done this. Why don't we do this next thing? And eventually, before you know it, everybody's wondering why and when they got their gun rights surrendered and why they got their First Amendment rights surrendered. It's the old analogy of how do you boil a frog very slowly. You know, you turn the heat up and before you know it, the, the frog is nice and, and boiled. We're doing this so slowly in some places to not even be noticeable. If you really want to solve the problem of gun violence, of violence in general in society, you're not going to solve it with a bunch of people sitting in the House and the Senate, the state of Idaho, or in the Congress of the United States. On Wednesday, the kids were chanting, we deserve more rights than your guns. How can they enjoy liberty if they don't have the life to enjoy that liberty? Well, you, you can't have liberty if you, you can't have fundamental liberty if you can't have a, the right of self-defense. That is a very, very unique thing to American uh, life, and it has worked well for more than 200 years. So the question becomes, what is the underpinning of that that is threatening to sabotage that right that we have held so dear 
and have treasured for as long as we've been a nation. There's something there, and it's not the Second Amendment that's the problem. It, the problem is something that is destroying the fabric of our society. You're not going to pass a law and take away somebody's constitutional right and solve that problem because they will find other ways to go and commit violence against each other. Speaker Becky, I wanted your take on this. Are you frustrated yet, Will? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just try to, I mean, I, I met with the, you know, some of the kids the other day and, 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 I, and I agree with, uh, with what Wayne has said philosophically. I mean, that, that is, uh, you know, and we went around uh, the Mulberry Bush one more time and we pointed to a undefined problem in society that that uh, restricting gun rights is not going to solve, and uh, and and so I I get you know I called you out to maybe be frustrated, but I was getting frustrated there from your perspective because right. that's not you you know all the all you guys came down there because there's this problem and there's this expectation from your generation that we're going to fix it. Right. And and we're having a hard time defining exactly where that is, and uh, and and I don't have the good answer. I it's a suite of things, but I but I think it it it, it involves it's going to include parental involvement. It's going to sitting down with our kids and with our grandkids, and uh, and we're going to have to have some very frank discussions that we've had the luxury of not having to do in the past. And that mm -hmm. transition and that holding on to what, it, you know, the way things were is the way things ought to be mm -hmm. uh, mentality is, is not moving us forward on this dialogue. And I, and I have it continue, or, you know, I've, this is not the first time I've had this discussion, and, it, but it, and, and there, I mean, it's not the first time that I'm leaving a discussion still frustrated on some level because I, I would like to solve the problem. And I'm I'm good at that, but I but I've got to have consensus on what the problem is so we can direct resources and talent towards that. And I appreciate everything that Wayne said, and and that's uh, and my yes vote on that on that that bill was was somewhat born of this same frustration that that I'm expressing right now is that all of that aside, we still have battered women and children, and uh, and that are and. And there's a bully in the house, and he has access to the to a gun, and that's and that's not good. We restrict driver's licenses for less. I mean, we do a lot of things, uh, and uh, and it anyway. I, but I still agree with the basic premise of what of what Wayne said about the Second Amendment, and and how there's got to be this tension. Uh, all you know that those those Tenth Amendment rights are, are sacrosanct, and we can't erode that uh, and that because we don't want to live there either. I, I absolutely believe um, in all of our rights, you know, and, and, and I think that that's really important. But I think our kids' lives supersedes all of it. And so if our kids are dying in schools because someone is coming in and shooting them, that, in my opinion, supersedes every single right that everybody has. And so we want to define the problem and we want to define what it is. The problem is our kids are going to school not knowing if they're going to come home. And so what do we do about that? And how do we solve that? And it is going to take multiple 
um, solutions. It's going to take multiple, and everybody's going to have to give a little bit, of, give a little bit um, to get to a solution. You know, parents have to do something. And playing We've the odds to, is not going to be the right, answer. Right, playing here. the odds and sitting around <clears throat> arguing about, you know, Absolutely. if well, this isn't going to solve it, and that's not going to solve it. But if it can help this much, and if it can save one life, I'm willing to take that chance and say. Let's do something in the policy arena that we can that we can save one life. I, I tend to my my bias, of course, is that you're not going to get the solution out of a political body. I have a lot of friends in the legislature, a lot of friends who are on various city councils and county commissions. I love those people, and I know they mean well, and they want to do the right thing, and everybody wants to do something. But the question is, is doing something really solving the problem? Or are you going to come back in a few years when you find out that people are making AR-15s on 3D printers, and then you're going to have to ban 3D printers? And okay, you ban 3D printers, and now somebody figures out how to equip a, 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 a drone with some kind of a weapon or weaponry, and they launch it off, and it goes and kills people. I mean, there's a lot of, use your imagination, I hate to say that, but you know that that's what can happen unless you get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is not going to be addressed by passing some new law. But do you, do you agree with Beth on the problem in the first place, that kids are going to school worried that they're not going to come home? Oh, absolutely. And you know, kids are also going to Walmart concerned they're not going to leave Walmart. There's a lot of different um, uh, scenarios that you, you can, I, I go to a restaurant now and I'm the guy I'm the guy that's always trying to figure out how to put my my back towards the wall so I can see the doorway and I've been like that for a long time because I know of cases where people walk in and do bad things inside restaurants and this is well before uh, Columbine or Jonesboro or any of these other cases these things do happen so again the question is what is causing society to be like that and if you think that passing a law that says that you can ban guns or that every restaurant should be configured such that everybody is facing the doorway, that's not going to help. Right. People are screaming at the, the screens right now, Wayne, saying, okay, so what is it then? Give us a list of the things that, uh, you know, if we're going to get proactive on this, uh, give us a, uh, from your perspective with your bias that I've already agreed that I share at least to some point. Uh, what what's going to be on that list? What uh, you know? What should we be doing? Uh, this uh, this is this really reveals my biases, but it's true. We've surrendered the responsibility for our neighbors to the government. If the guy is out sitting on the sidewalk muttering to himself with a sign that says "Please help me, I'm homeless," we say, "Well, the government's going to go handle that." And you see somebody who's acting obviously mentally impaired, we say, okay, some agency is going to be responsible for that. We pay our taxes, the Department of Health and Welfare is going to come in and fix that. When the Department of Health and Welfare doesn't come in and fix that and somebody comes in and shoots up a school, we say we ought to pass a law to prevent gun violence. Do you see the issue? We have to take responsibility for our neighbors. We have to start connecting with one another like we used to. Until we do that, you're always going to have this disconnect between the politician and the people who are victimized by the folks that aren't getting the treatment they need. Will, I wanted to get your perspective. Has anything you've heard here made you feel any better about attending school? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, no. Um, I understand, first off, I understand the, the whole idea, the whole conversation of school shootings and gun reform and gun control um, and protecting the Second Amendment is one of the most controversial ones that our country is currently facing and will ever face. And I understand that the people who are at stake mainly are the children who are not constituents, who do not vote, who are not being represented. 
um, and therefore aren't really affecting politicians' campaigns. Um, but I do think it's important to remember that the foundation of American democracy is that the people that we elect into politi political offices are there to represent the people. Um, and so we go to bed every night thinking, you know, we are scared, but we have this faith, we should have this faith, that the people that represent us are fighting for us and fighting, fighting for our safety. But kids don't feel that way anymore. We feel like shooting after shooting after shooting is happening. People are dying. Our friends, our, fr our families are being, communities are being torn apart. I mean, to this day, when people hear the name Columbine, they still think of that shooting. It's not, it's, it's almost like a memorial. It's, it's something that, you know, kids are losing faith in their politicians. Well, don't and so lose I, faith quite yet. Yeah. But I would, but, and I think here's our challenge as, you know, so Wayne and I have shared a bias um, mm -hmm. to some extent here. And I, and I, but I, but I think that's born from, from our experience in Idaho. And I think that, you know, we were able to speak freely about that because we, there's a lot of people out there that agree with us. But those, but that slippery slope, that, that term that you hate to use, we, we will be there if there's an incident in Idaho and we will, uh, in, in the heat of the moment, we will, the, uh, society will overreact in those areas and, and go down that path that you described that you, that you're, that we're, that we're avoiding like the plague right now. So I think it's incumbent upon us to get out in front of this. And be preemptive here in Idaho, so that so that it doesn't happen, so that we don't overreact, so we don't lose the freedoms that you described, which I think is a, a very plausible uh, scenario. Right. And so I, but that's going to take some effort, Absolutely. and those are not going to be the most glamorous issues that we deal with. There's going to be there's going to be uh, demands for our money to you know prioritize other ways. Mm -hmm. You know, with things will go by, we'll get, we'll fall back in our ruts, and uh, and we won't get there. But but we will immediately go there, with upon the first incident here. Beth, I, I wanted to heaven forbid. I wanted to get your input, Beth. If if you were queen for a day, what would you do to solve this problem? Oh boy, that's a, that's a big one. My magic wand, my magic wand would be that we would. Um, we would strengthen our background checks, we would tie those to mental health, as you had suggested, and we would, um, we would not allow the AK-15s in our society. Leave those to the military, leave those to our law enforcement. Um, and so those are just a few solutions that I think that we can do now. I think that those are some solutions that we can do now. And at the end of the day, the fact is, is that what we're doing now isn't working. And I don't think it's a matter of if, I think it's a matter of when. And as you said, get in front of that, and I hope that we can get in front of this because I don't want Idaho <coughs> to be the next state that something tragic happens in our schools. Speaker Bedke, well, what would I, you do? What would I do if I were? King for a day. King for a day. I don't know the answer to that. It would be some of everything we've talked about. But I, we know that uh, as we profile these people that do that, 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 that uh, do these horrible crimes, there are some, uh, some consistent reoccurring traits or problems or whatever. And, uh, you know, so being, being very conscious of their civil rights 
but I think that we that we need to do better. Like I said before we started taping, I think that I think that the kids in school uh, have a much they are much better attuned into their classmates than we give them credit for. And waiting for society to handle that is going to be too late. And I think we've all got to get on top of that. Uh, you know, not only with our classmates but in our communities. And uh, you know that that's where this this community involvement. If I had a magic wand, we'd we'd go back into the '70s when I went to high school, and we didn't have to worry about this. And we went pheasant hunting on the way home from school. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so, and that's being, but that does that those type of statements do not help now. Yeah. And uh, and and I'm frustrated, just like everyone else is. Yet I don't have something that I can get my hands around and, and choke yet. I don't think there's a, a magic recipe. I don't think there's a magic wand. And I think in this particular case, the Occam's razor, you know, the simplest solution is the right answer is not. The simplest solution would be we'll ban guns or we'll put in mental health screenings or whatever it may be. The, the real answer is way more complicated than that. And that's very uncomfortable for people. It means checking reality and the reality is that we have lost the connection between one another. And as a result of that, people commit heinous acts of violence. And they do it using guns, they use pressure cookers, as we saw in, in Boston, they use knives, they use poison. If we can't figure out how to get back to where we used to be as a society, we will continue to have this discussion. We will applaud the politicians for passing a law and appropriating money, but ultimately we'll, we will not, at the end of the day, have solved the problem. Mm -hmm. Will, ultimately, mm -hmm. this discussion affects you the most. Mm -hmm. You are the one in school. Is there anything you want to say before you go? I think one of the most important parts of this discussion today is the frustration that you brought up. Um, it's in not just me in this discussion. It's in every single student that attends any form of public school, private school, get, trying to get an education. It affects all of us, and we are all frustrated. I think the solution at my level with my generation is to educate them and talk about this with them, talk about, you know, potential ramifications of certain actions, like if we take away guns, what would happen? Because um, I think when we talk about, you know, the Second Amendment is, is being threatened, because, and I think that's mainly because um, school shootings are a very emotional, emotional time for everyone, and very justifiably so. But when this stuff happens, our initial response is take it all the most extreme solution possible because we don't want to see it happen again. But then you lose that side of, well, if we do this, what does this mean for our country? What does this mean for our foundation of who, the foundation of who we are as a country? Um, and so I think all of my peers, we all have this idea of we want change, but we don't know, first off, how to approach getting that change done because we, we are all frustrated enough to act. We are not, we are not gonna be a, or a generation of discussion. We're gonna be a generation of action. I'm actually glad to hear him say that because when you see the national news stories, it's all these kids wanna take away Abs guns. Yes. And, and to hear him talk about this issue in such a refreshing, open-minded manner is, is very, very encouraging. Speaker Bedke, you know, between Wednesday's protest and walkout and this discussion, okay. is it acceptable for the legislature to go home without addressing this or coming up with an action plan for next year? Well, you used the undefined this, address this, uh, and we've got it still so broad that I don't know what that means yet. And uh, I, you know, so, and so therefore, I, you know, we're all frustrated. 
All right, so that frustration's got to translate into some of the into action in some way. Some of the best ideas that I heard were at the press club the other day, when when you finally got President or uh, the President Pro Tem or Senator Hill cornered, and he said, whether than 17 minutes of walkout or non going to school, what if there are 17 acts of kindness that happen? What if there's 17 people that we don't associate with at school because they're they're odd for some reason what if there's those 17 people that we that we go seek those out and we do 17 at random acts of vi of violence of of kindness <laughs> for them and uh, we get proactive in in creating this this community that that I think that Wayne is is talking about to a point I I think that we as grandparents and parents would be more more uh, comfortable dropping the kids off if we knew that that there was a bunch of engaged citizens or called students that were going to be on the lookout for somebody that needed a little bit extra that day, and they were all committed to doing those acts of charity and 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 putting into practice. We've 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 nibbled around the edges of religion here. But, but regardless of the, which sex we are, we should, we should put into practice those principles that we learn on Sunday through the balance of the week, including school, including in the workplace, and going out of our way to do that. It's at, it's at that point that we'll start turning the corner as a, as a society. I, I, again, can we leave with the way it is? Uh, yeah, I guess we can because we have before. And the, and the world didn't come to an end, and we played the odds, and uh, nothing bad happened. So, whew. But I don't think wishing and hoping and crossing our fingers is a good strategic plan here for us in Idaho. It, we're going to have to start doing, and, uh, and that's going to look a whole, that's going to look different in Oakley than it does at Boise, and it's going to look different in Napa than it does in, uh, you know, Weipe. I mean, it's, it's going to look different everywhere. But it's going to include this reaching out and going, getting out of our comfort zone, shutting our phones off, and going and helping somebody that, that, that we all know is having issues. Regardless of where people stand on the debate, I hope we can all at least do that. Speaker Bedke, Beth Oppenheimer, Wayne Hoffman, Will Tingway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And once again, we really wanted to express our appreciation for everyone who participated in that discussion. We know that people might not agree on solutions right now, but we also know they're not going to find solutions if they don't keep talking. And joining us today for the pundits or pundit, we have Betsy Russell of the Spokesman Review. Uh, Betsy, you were at that uh, protest, that walkout on Wednesday. Do you think those students were heard? Well, it, it would be very hard for them not to be heard, considering the deafening noise level of their chants in the rotunda of the Capitol, um, plus the sheer number of students who turned out, uh, almost 2,000 people on the steps of the Capitol. It was pretty amazing. And actually, yes, I do think the students were heard. And one way that they were heard was through silence, even as all this noise was going on. So at the end of their rally, they filed into the Capitol, and a bunch of them went into the rotunda and started chanting, but a bunch of others went into the galleries where they sat silently and respectfully and watched their legislators at work, and the legislators acknowledged that. And House Speaker Scott Begg, he said, they showed only the utmost respect and their message was heard. And I, I found that pretty impressive. And then really the other evidence of that was the Senate's action today. The Senate had the school threats bill 
on its calendar today. And it had been in the process of passing a whole lot of House-passed bills, most of them pretty, you know, pretty little debate, very close to unanimous votes. But when this bill came up, there was a ton of debate. And it was about the message that they'd heard from those students a couple of days earlier. Several senators referenced that in their debates on the bill. They said, we need to listen to the students. We need to do something to make our schools safer. And so this bill updates Idaho's laws on threats of violence at schools, including a new felony charge when a deadly weapon is involved. And there were a number of senators who had misgivings about it and wondered whether it went too far and whether there was sufficient intent in it. But it ended up passing on a 32 to 1 vote after lawyer after lawyer got up and addressed that question very specifically, does it require intent? And they said, yes, it did. In fact, a couple of the lawyers in the Senate, and there are a number, said it was one of the better crafted bills they've seen on this very difficult issue. And then we heard something even more unusual. A number of senators said, I came in planning to vote against this bill, but I've been convinced by the debate today that I should support it. Um, they also cited the free legal counsel they received <laughs> in the course of the debate. But it was very interesting. It ended up passing 32 to 1. And that bill is on its way to the governor's desk. And this isn't the first time students have been involved in Idaho politics in recent history. I'm thinking of the Students Come First laws and the protests surrounding that mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago. That's right. That wasn't that long ago. In fact, I remember when a bunch of high school students came in and did a, a sit-in in the rotunda of the Capitol, and they immediately sat down and started doing their homework. And considering that the debate was about academics and schools, it was just really appropriate. We've seen some very interesting action by Idaho students in recent years. Well, I know what stood out to us at Idaho Reports was how thoughtful a lot of these students were. That It wasn't just a, a, a blanket ban guns comment, right? It was do something. This is bullying. This is uh, threats of violence. There were so many different issues that they said, this is all on the table. We just want our leaders to do something. These students were extremely sincere. They were well informed. Mm -hmm. it, I, I talked directly with just a couple, but they knew exactly why they were there, what they believed in, what they wanted to accomplish. It was, it was really kind of inspiring. And I did not get the impression that any of them were there just to skip school. Our broadcast show wraps up its 50th season this week, but we'll be back on the air this fall. And of course, we'll keep bringing you new podcast episodes throughout the summer, so be sure to join us here again next week. Thank you for listening. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.